0: If you have your copy of God's Word with you, and I sure hope you do, uh, go ahead and make your way to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be dealing with verses 11 through 14. It's kind of where if you get me, you get Romans, because that's where I'm at. And and it's just, it's been a blessing uh, to be there. So Romans 6, verse 11 says, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall be, shall not master you over you, for you not, are not under the law, but under grace. Father, we come to You in the mighty name of Christ. I just pray that Your Word would go forth today. God, that You, through Your Spirit, would communicate clearly to us today. I pray that Your Word's preached. I pray that Your people receive Your Word. Lord, that we would be edified by Your Word. God, that we would glorify You in the way we leave this place and we live this week. Lord Jesus, thank You for the sacrifice that You've made for us. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So, good morning again. Um, so, just to start out, uh, as I learned this in a preaching class I took, but as we start to dive in and look at a text, uh, what I want to do is find the subject of the text. That's what I want to do. And when I find that subject of the text, that's what we want to preach. We want to preach what God's Word says because God's Word is the only thing that we have that will bring a dead sinner to life. It's the only thing that we will have that will bring a believer that's in sin to repentance. It's the only thing that we will have that will edify us. So what we want to hear is what God's Word has to say. And as I really worked and worked in this text this week, this theme kept popping out, and it's going to be one that every single person sitting in a chair this morning will identify because the subject is you. It's talking about you. Paul uses the uh, the pronoun you, yours, or yourself seven times in these four verses. And more specifically, what he's speaking to is you and your relationship to sin. As a believer, after I converted, what is my relationship now regarding sin? So as we we look at that, that's what the sermon's going to be on today. But I want to just show you one thing before we get started in in Romans 6, verse 11, that's pretty important to the text today. And what that is, is that up until this point in the book of Romans, so we've had six chapters, like Paul has not given any imperatives. He has not given any commands. Everything he has said has been the facts. He has stated the facts. He's given us that man is universally sinful, utterly uh, separated from God. We've seen that. And then not only that, he also shows us how man can be reconciled to God through faith in Christ and through faith in Christ alone. All facts. He's all given us all this gospel truth. And then he moves into verse 11 where we get an imperative and Paul tells us something to do. But what I want you to understand and the reason I said that is Paul gives these believers at Rome much truth before he ever asks them to do anything. That's important. And I want you to understand that with that statement that what you believe should affect the way you behave. And so when we get truth and we hear gospel truth and we have that and we believe it, that should walk its way out in the way I live my life on Monday, on Tuesday, on Thursday night, Saturday morning when no one's around with my boss, all those things because of what we believe. Now, I hope today that the truth presented out of God's word, but about the relationship between the believer and sin, will change the way you live. I, I hope that you would hear the word of God and you would see if you need to change and you would repent and you would do that. And I don't know where you guys were at in your sanctification process. I do not know this. I do know this and I want you to hear and I want you to understand what I'm fixing to say. It is never Ever acceptable or okay to allow non sin to operate in my life as a believer? That's not okay. I don't just throw my hands up and say, "Well, I'm only human. Nobody's perfect." To heirs human, those things are not should not be said. Listen, what Peter proclaims as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the holy one called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, "You shall be holy." for I am holy. Now, I completely understand that we will not be sinless until we're with the Lord. I get that. I'm not preaching perfection to you. I'm preaching a direction. Today from the text, I want you to see, I want you to understand that because of the gospel, because God called you from life to death, the direction of your life towards sin and holiness have changed. They have been foundationally and revolutionary changed because of what Christ's done. What you believe should affect the way you behave. And I want you to see that. And that's what we'll start out with today. We'll start out with the imperative that Paul gives them in verse 11. He tells them something to believe. It's what he says. He says, even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the very first command in the entire letter. To consider. To consider. To consider. The command is to think upon the truth that has previously been presented. To grasp the meaning of what Paul is saying here, we really have to understand what is meant by this word consider. We don't understand that. When we say consider something, we really think about a fleeting thought. Like, oh, I'm considering what I might eat after church. I mean, it's it's a fleeting thought, but that's not at all what he's talking about. It means to calculate, to think about, to reason, to believe. It's a process of reasoning or calculating that comes to a logical conclusion from the facts. The verb is used over 40 times in the New Testament, and like I said, it refers to a logical deliberation and the conclusion drawn from it. I might add that the conclusion that you draw from God's word should affect the way you live when you consider the truth of the gospel. This is the case with abraham this, this this he 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 had to deliberate, he had to consider something that God told him. If you remember, God told Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac, his one and only son the the son that the promise was going to gonna come through. So Abraham had to consider what he believed about God. And in his consideration, he come to the belief that God could raise his son from the dead. God could not lie. He had promised Abraham that his descendants were going to come through Isaac. So if he sacrificed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Hebrews 11 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. And he considered, see the word? That God is able to raise people even from the dead. The logical conclusion that Abraham came to, to caused him to obey God. He considered the truth he knew about God. So Paul is telling them, likewise, to consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves alive to God. He's making a comparison to verse 10. He's saying that Christ has died to sin. He came forth and lived a sinless life. He perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He was crucified. He was resurrected. He died to sin once and for all. Even so, likewise, in the same way, because of your intimate union with Christ at conversion, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Paul tells them to consider this truth, to dwell upon this truth, to ponder this truth, that when they were converted, that my brothers, my sisters, when you were converted, you were immersed into the death of Christ, right? Before that, you were hostile to God, separated, alienated. You were an enemy of God, but at your conversion, that is no longer so. There has been a change that has taken place inside you because of the Spirit of God. God in his grace, God in his mercy, in his love, he called you, he called me from life to death. You were born again, you were converted, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And because you were in Christ, the relationship to God and sin has fundamentally been altered. You have been crucified with Christ. You too are dead to sin but you have also been brought to life in him. And Christ lives to God forever. And so will you. What a beautiful promise. I will forever live in the presence of my Savior. Imperfectly now, but perfectly then. The, the truth that Paul is telling them, consider is gospel truth. He's telling them to dwell upon, to think about the gospel. Look at, just, I'm going to go through this real quick. Verse 3 states that we were baptized into the death of Christ. Verse 4 says that Christ was raised from the dead. Verse 5 states about His resurrection. Verse 6, that we were crucified with Him. Verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead. Verse 10 he dead He's died to sin and lives to God. What is the gospel? That Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that he was resurrected on the third day up from the grave he arose. All this language that Paul is telling them to ponder is gospel truth. And, and can I just go ahead and proclaim that there's power in the gospel? There's power in what Christ has done and that power is exactly what changes you and takes the sin and gives you a different relationship with it. As you consider the gospel and you meditate on it, let it be in your mind. Let it be in your thoughts. When is the last time you spent 10 minutes pondering the gospel? And when you When you ponder the gospel, think of this. Think of what you brought to the table. All you brought was sin. You brought the sin that made the gospel necessary. And think about that. Before the foundation of the world, He chose you to be brought from life to death. There's nothing you did. There's no way you can boast. Let that thought, let that produce humility in you. You bring nothing to the table. Do not think too highly of yourself. And let that humility, when you dwell upon the gospel and what Christ has done because of your sinfulness, let that permeate your marriage, your relationships at work. You don't have to always have your way in the marriage. You don't always have to have your way at work. Sometimes people get promoted above you. It's okay. God's in control. Remember that you were dead and now you're alive. And my brothers and my sisters, you had no part of that. Salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. He called you from death to life. When you consider the forgiveness that's offered in the gospel, there's no shame any longer. There's no guilt. You don't have to live under the burden of shame. You don't have to live under the burden of guilt. Christ has paid for our sins. The power has been a done away with. You are a son. You are a daughter of Christ. For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you're thinking about the gospel, think about these things. Consider the death that Christ died. Christ died for our sin. It was our sin that was the problem. He died for our sin. And so therefore, the power of sin has been done away with. If that is the case, there's no power of sin in your life to control you any longer. You're dead to it. Oh, my brothers and sisters, consider the resurrection. Up from the grave He arose. The grave could not hold Him. There was no sin. He died for my sin, not His own. And He was resurrected by the power of God. That power lives inside you. In you. And the Spirit who raised Him to the dead dwells in your body. And He will also give life to your mortal body. The next time that sin enters your thoughts or temptations come your way, consider yourself dead to them. Think about it. Ponder on it. They have no power of you. I am not talking about playing mind games here. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I know I can. I know I can. That's not what we're talking about here. I'm talking about believing the gospel in a way that affects the way you live. It's not mind games. This is truth. This is reality. This is the belief that Paul has told them to consider. This is the belief that should change the way you behave. And and therefore, Paul does. The belief is that you're dead to sin and alive to God. The behavior is, do not let sin reign. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. We see in this verse the word therefore. This word ties this verse back to the preceding verses. What we're going to see here is a conclusion to an argument. That's what we're going to see. And the argument that has been made is that we can no longer sin because we are in Christ Jesus, because of our intimate, I'm sorry, we are no longer mastered by sin. We're no longer to continue to live in sin because of our intimate union with Christ. Therefore, because of this truth, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. It is here that Paul shows us in a very practical way how the gospel should affect us. Since you are dead to sin, do not let it reign. Just by the construction of this command, I want you to see something here. And I want you to really understand this. Just by the construction of him saying, do not let sin reign, that tells us that sin still remains. And we all know that. I'm not preaching perfection here. Sin still remains. Look, I remember my conversion in 2002. I, I remember it very vividly. Uh, I had been using drugs since about 1990s when I started in high school. And and then as sin always does, sin just makes more sin, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. And I ended up in this downward spiral. And by 2002, I'm in complete bondage and complete slavery to crystal meth. In and out of jail. That's who I was. Sin had mastered me. Sin was my master. But God in his grace and his mercy called me forth from death to life. In August of 2002, I heard the gospel for the first time. Now understand, I was raised in church. I'd heard the gospel many times. But for the very first time, that I really heard the gospel. That the light of truth shined through the darkness and the depravity that was my sin and that was my soul. And I finally seen what the gospel was truly about. That Christ had died for my sin. He was the answer. He cried for my sin. He saved me for no reason of my own. All I had was sin. I had hurt everybody I lived with. I was just horrible. Depraved. And for some reason that I'll never know, but I'm forever grateful, He saved me. And I hit my knees and I've accepted Him and i believed upon the Gospel. And my brothers and sisters, I would love to stand here today and tell you that I never sinned again. And then it was all over. I remember this thought. I remember the the feeling, the emotion that come over me at this point. The, the relief, the flooding of forgiveness that, that was offered to me. I was exuberant. It was great. And I also remember having this thought right here. It's finally over. It's finally over. The living hell that I've lived through for the past 15 years is finally over. And I cannot tell you the dismay that I had when this thought came again. And with the thought, the urge to once again use drugs, I was devastated. What did, what, what just happened there? And I, I would love to tell you that I considered myself dead to sin and alive to God, but but that was not the case. I struggled for many years, and at times horribly, there was a war raging inside of me. Sin wanted to reign. But I can tell you this, as I stand here before you today, and I know that I know this, that God is faithful. And He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Uh, He set me free. I didn't do anything. He did it by His Spirit. Have you been set free? Have you been brought from life to death? Has the Spirit of God been speaking to your heart? Have you believed the Gospel? In a way that affects the way you live. What caused me to once again to think about drugs after conversion? I I, I pondered that. Where did the urge come from? I'm I'm born again. I'm converted. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I believe the gospel. It was sin. Plain and simple. Sin. It was the sin that remained in me. Defining exactly what Paul is talking about here when he says that do not allow sin to reign is, is difficult. In this verse, sin is a noun. It is a thing. It actually lives inside you. It's a destructive and depraved principle that reigns over unbelievers and it persists in believers. But it is still somewhat of a mystery, a riddle. It can elude definition. Or comprehension. We perhaps think about sin as something we do, but it's much more destructive than that. It lives inside of us. It urges us. It pushes us to rebellion against God. It urges us. It pushes us to lawlessness. Paul tells them, do not let this reign inside you. Even though sin is still present after the conversion, because of the gospel, the believer is now in a different relationship to sin. It's no longer my master. I was a slave to sin, no longer so. Because of my immersion in the Christ, because of the gospel, I am dead to that. I have been severed from the relationship that I had in my sin. My old self has been crucified. Who I was in Adam no longer exists. Christ has done away with that. I am alive in Christ. It's who I am so do not let sin control you do not let sin hold authority over you or your mortal body which at this point represents the entirety of who you are don't please don't just think of your fleshly members as your entire body it's the flesh the mind the heart the will it's the entirety of who you are sin cannot rule in any area of this of your life how can you tell if you're allowing sin to reign Are you making provisions for the flesh? Listen very carefully to this. Sin untunes and unframes the heart from God by entangling its affections. When we sin, we're knocked out of tune with God. We're untuned. The heart is untuned. It it diverts the heart from the spiritual frame that is required to commune with God. That's what sin does with us. And in this state, my brothers and sisters, you are in serious trouble. Sin fills your thoughts with its enticements. It begins to draw you. First it's captured in your thoughts and then it, not put to death. It then seeks to make provision for and to fulfill the lust of the flesh. To illustrate this point, let's just take a look at David. Perfect example of what I'm preaching. Then it happened in the spring. I'm in 2 Samuel. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to read it. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed in Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around the roof on the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about this woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. When David saw Bathsheba, he allowed sin to reign. He considered, instead of God, her. He didn't ponder upon the truth that he knew about God. He pondered upon what he had saw. How do we know that David let sin reign? Because we see him act on the desires of the flesh. He sins and inquires of her. He sent messengers to get her, and then he lays with her. When sin reigns, you begin to obey the desires of your mortal body. Yes, sin still remains. Yes, it does. Yes, there are thoughts that enter our minds that are contrary to the law of God, but we do not have to allow the sin to hold any authority. We put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Make no mistake here. Hear me very clearly. The only victory that you're going to have in sin over sin is through Christ and Him crucified. The victory that was already accounted for at Calvary. Christ has already secured the victory over sin. That is the victory. Now, these other disciplines that we'll do in our spiritual life, prayer and fasting, these things are beneficial, but be very careful, be very careful not to think that that is the actual means of your sanctification. Absolutely not. The reason that prayer, the reason that fasting is beneficial for sanctification is because of the one you're engaging. It allows the spirit to flow. It's the spirit of God that sets you free from slavery and bondage of sin. So, I draw a conclusion from considering the gospel. And that conclusion that I draw is that I am dead to sin. And that I no longer have to follow what it desires. There's a new king, a new master. And His name is Christ Jesus. He reigns supreme in me. As I said and I stated that what we believe about the gospel should change about how we behave. So we believe that we're dead to sin and alive to God. We behave, we do not let sin rule. We also behave like this, we offer ourselves to God. Listen to what Romans 6.13 states. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God in this word, in this verse we see the the word but and, and i just I, I would really interject here as you're reading god's word there's certain words that you just pay i mean you pay attention to all of it but the word but signifies something going on just stop reading and circle it take a look what happened before take a look what happened after they're going to be they're related you're going to see a comparison a contrast and that's what we see here we see a contrast Right? On one side of it, you see those who present their members to sin, and on the other side you see those who present their members to God. A couple of things to consider before we unpack this. What Paul what does Paul mean by presenting or yielding? What does that mean? It's very simple. I think you've probably already got it. Right? It means to offer to, to cause to serve, to make available, accessible, or to provide or furnish. I'm presenting Corey with my Bible right now. That's what that looks like. We got the same one too. That's what that looks like. Presenting something. So, what does a member uh, simply stated is every part of you. Don't don't think just my arm or my hands or my eyes. It's the heart where the inclinations of all this takes place. This is where the sin begins to reign. The sin begins to rule. The issue is a heart issue. The heart must be taken care of by the Spirit of God. It's a heart issue. So with that said, do not make any part of you available or accessible to sin, but make every part of you available or accessible to God. It's just such a simple statement. Don't make yourself available to sin. Make yourselves available to God. Present yourself, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Notice here that the members of your body are noted as instruments or tools. Did you see that? The members of your body are supposed to be used for a specific purpose. Think of an instrument. Just think of one. Take a guitar, for example. The instrument was made to make music. That's what it was created for, to make music. And when presented to the correct person and in the hands of a skilled musician, it will make beautiful music that is soul-inspiring and heart-moving. Think about that. It's the one who is in charge of the instrument that makes the difference, not the instrument. That's the picture here because of what Christ has accomplished, because of the gospel, because you have considered yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, because you are not letting sin reign, then present the members of your body to God so you can be an instrument that He uses. Let your body be used as an instrument to bring God glory. Let Him play music on you. Present yourselves to God. Notice here also that Paul tells them to to stop, to to not go on presenting the members of your sin, the members of your body to sin. He tells them to stop. The, The verse is telling us to not provide or present any part of us. Just very practical. Think about this. Do not use your mind to dwell on lustful thoughts. Do not use your mind to dwell on anxieties and worries. Don't use your eyes to look upon unholy things. That includes TV. That includes movies. Do not use your members, do not use your hands to steal. Do not use your mouth to curse. Do not use your mouth to gossip. Do not let your ears listen to unholy things that includes music. Do not do this. Let me get real right here that that though we are born again, though that we have we've been converted, we still have sin dwelling inside of us we, we Satan's still prowling. Roaring and seeking who to devour. You should think about this. Not to mention that we all live in this falling and tempting world. I have to just wonder, and I stop and I look at you guys today is there any one of you here today? That right now, that while I'm up here preaching, that the Holy Spirit is preaching to your heart, that you're still presenting your members to sin, can I just plead with you to stop today. Let today be the day of salvation. As Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. Let the Word of God do its work this morning by the Spirit of God. Repent of that. Repent of it. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Has God spoken to you about a specific thing that you're presenting yourself to? Stop it. Stop it now. It has no power or authority to control you. Consider the gospel. He says, but but now present yourselves to God as alive from the dead. <laughs> Have you been brought from death to life? Has that happened in your life? Have you believed the gospel? Are you in a state of sinfulness? Oh, the Spirit of God will convict you. The Spirit of God will let you know that, that you need salvation as He begins to work upon your heart. Have you repented and believed the Gospel? This word says that we present ourselves to God. What a crazy privilege. We have access to God through Christ. I want you to understand something. This is a revolutionary idea to a Jew, especially this access to God. When there was, when they had fallen in the garden, access was denied. But when they come to Mount Sinai again, access is denied. When the tabernacle is constructed for the normal Jew, access to the Holy of Holies is denied. When the temple is constructed, access is denied. But my brothers and my sisters, when Christ died at Calvary on the cross, the veil was ripped unto, and again, access is made. You have this crazy privilege to present yourself to God. And therefore, you present your members as instruments to righteousness. You've been saved. You've been set apart. Use your eyes to behold the glory of a sunset and give him praise. Give him worship. Use your mouth to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. Use your hands to serve the king and help those who are in need. Use your mind to ponder, to consider that you are dead to sin and alive to God. Let your mind meditate on the gospel and the truth. Present yourselves to God, not sin. Your relationship to sin has been changed. Christ is now king. No longer do you live under the tyranny of sin. No longer does sin control your life. Because you are dead to sin. Because you are alive to God. Do not let sin reign. Don't. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin. I want you to just see, at Romans six fourteen. you see the word for. This means that we're going to have an explanation to why this is the case, why this is possible. The word for introduces an explanation of why obedience to the aforementioned commands is even possible and should be present. The explanation of why you should not let sin reign, why you should not present your members to sin, because sin shall not master you. Verse 14, for sin shall not master over you. For you not under the law, but grace. Sin will not dominate you. It will not control you. It will not gain possession over you. The imagery here is one of slavery. That's what it is, this mastering. Those who are under the yoke of slavery has a master. I want you to understand that this image that Paul is presenting here would have been very vivid for the Roman believers that heard this letter read because Estimates are between 20 and 40% of the population in Rome were slaves. This would have resonated with them. They would have understood what it meant to have someone commanding them to not have freedom. They would have understood that. Also, uh, there's more than one way to become a slave here. I want you to see this, that there were prisoners at war, there was those who were born into slavery, but there were also those who had a debt they could not pay. And so instead of trying to pay the debt, though they couldn't pay it, they presented themselves as a slave to pay off this debt. This is the type you see in the parable that Jesus talks in the unmerciful slave in Matthew 18. One thing all of these slaves have in common, all of them, is they have a master to obey. And to be freed from that master, a debt must be paid. It's just the... the, The overarching theme of slavery masters debts, these things that have to be paid. And and these debts that they had to be paid, it could have been time, it could have been money, or it could have even been death. My brothers and sisters, when Paul states that sin shall not master you, it is on the basis of the gospel. The debt that we owe to sin has been paid for in full at Calvary. No longer do we owe a debt. I am free from that. Sin cannot master me or control me. Christ has paid this. It's what Romans 6.22 says, but now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, sin shall no longer master me. I should no longer let it reign. I should no longer present my members to it. I know I'm repeating myself a lot. There's a reason for that. I want you to understand this morning that sin does not reign in you. Christ does. Therefore, live in a way that testifies to that. He says that the reason that the rest of the verse says that because you are under the law, but not under the law, but under grace, sin shall not master you for because you are not under the law, but under grace. The indication of this verse is that if we're under the law, then sin is our master. Right. I mean, so since I'm not under the law. Sin's not my master. If I say I'm under the law, I mean that the law is my, wing, my my means of making myself right with God. It's the way I'm trying to obey God, like trying to bring my obedience to the law and gain favor from Him. If you're seeking to gain favor by the law, sin will master you. You cannot fulfill the law. Romans 3.20, look what it says about the law. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Romans 5.20, the law came in so that transgression would increase. Romans Romans 4.15 says, for the law brings about wrath. But you are not under the law, but under grace. The law has perfectly been fulfilled in Christ. He fulfilled the requirement of the law. He stands righteous in the sight of God. And when you are justified, you are given his righteousness. His obedience is imputed to you. It's reckoned to you. You and I deserve eternal punishment, but instead we get the righteousness of Christ. That sounds like good news, doesn't it? Imagine this. It sounds like grace. You're under grace. It's grace. We're not any longer, we have been released from the tyranny, the domination, the oppression of sin. Just just as I said before, that in Rome, 20 to 40% of the people were slaves. I also want to say this, that releasing slaves from legal bondage at this time was a carefully regulated event under the Jewish, Greek, and Roman laws. It happened by which one stroke of a pen, a person went from slavery to freedom. They went from being property to becoming a legal person. It's the same case with you and I, believer. The same thing happens when we believe the gospel. We are converted. We are justified. He takes our sin. We get his righteousness. We're no longer under sin. We're now, long, we're now free. We're enslaved to God. But my brothers and my sisters, the yoke that God offers us is most delightful. Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me ask you a question to just think about. In, In light of what we've heard today about God's word, let me ask you this. Have you believed the gospel in a way that affects the way you live? We all probably work with people or know people who claim to be Christians, but you wouldn't know it by the way they live. I'm not pronouncing judgment on them. Only God knows their heart. I'm not saying they're not Christians. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you, Redeemer Church, have you believed the gospel in a way that affects the way you lived? Do you consider and think upon the gospel? Are you not allowing sin to reign? Have you stopped presenting your members to sin? Are you presenting yourselves to God on a daily occasion? Through prayer? Through the word? Through fellowship with brothers? This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I want to give you a a super practical application of what this text today. This is it. I'm, I'm really asking you to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something because of what you've heard. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have a phone, and I'm assuming that most of you do, there might be one or two, maybe some of the children that don't have phones. If you have a phone, I want you to set a daily alarm on your phone. This is something I've done recently. It's been most beneficial. And this wasn't the reason I did it. It was for something else. Um, But I set an alarm on my phone at a time that I know I'm not busy. Usually, for me, it works when I'm driving home or to work. I've got an hour. The alarm on the phone goes off every day. When that alarm goes off, this is what I ask you to do. Think on, consider, ponder the gospel. Think about the sin that he died for. Think about the forgiveness that was offered. Think about and consider that Christ is dead to sin and so are you. Think about Christ conquering death in the grave. You're forever going to live with God because of his work. I'm just asking you to do that. I can't follow that thing out and make you do it. But what a fruitful exercise to ponder on, to meditate on the gospel. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the gospel renew your mind. And finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard today, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, I come to you and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim truth. I pray that, Father, that you would take your word and you would just impress it upon the hearts of the hearers. God, if there was a moment in the sermon and your word was being proclaimed and there was someone there God, that maybe they're presenting their members to sin or maybe they're not saved, Father, that today Your Spirit would continue to move. You would send people into their lives to speak truth, to speak the Gospel. God, as we close in worship today and praise You in in song, let us consider the Gospel. Father, we pray it in the name of Christ. Amen.